0: I'm super excited to be with you today. My name is Pastor Nick Newman, and I want to say Welcome on behalf of myself, my wife, and the rest of the team here. We are so honored and excited that you chose to be with us today. We believe that God has some incredible things in store for you and I because we are kicking off a brand new series today called Escaping the Cave. And maybe this is your first time. If it's your first time with us, again, I want to say welcome. But I'm not the only one who's excited that you're here. Church, can you do me a favor and help me welcome every person here for the first time? Come on. So excited. So excited. We're not going to point you out or do anything weird. Maybe you're watching online with us uh, today. We want to say good morning to you as well. If you ever find yourself in Mount Pleasant, North Carolina, we would love to hang out with you on a Sunday. As we get ready to kick off this brand new series, Escaping the Cave, the reason why we are diving into it is because I believe that uh, 2020 did a number on uh, our mental health, 2020 did a number on us. For some of us, 2020 was a year where we thought thoughts that we never thought we would think 2020 was a year where we found ourselves isolated and lonely. Maybe you found yourself struggling with things that you thought you were over. And we don't know what the uh, ramifications of a pandemic are just yet. I think over the course of the next 10 years, we'll really figure out how it shaped the way we think and how our minds work. But for a lot of us, a, a cave was kind of what we found ourselves in. Rather than finding ourselves in a place of uh, enjoyment, we kind of found ourselves in some dark places over the course of this last year. And this whole series is designed to proclaim that, hey, if you find yourself in a cave, if you find yourself in a dark place or a season, by the grace of God, you can walk out and escape that in Jesus' name. And so, I don't know where you find yourself at today, but I do know there's going to be some hope That we pull from God's Word today. Over the course of this entire series, this four-week series, we're going to spend it in 1 Kings chapter 19. You say, Pastor, four weeks in the same passage? Yes. And so four weeks, but I'm telling you, I'm going to break it down in sections as we talk about this guy named Elijah. And Elijah's story is incredibly important for us. I think there's a lot to learn from him in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. But in order to really understand chapter 19, you need to go back and look at what happened in chapter 18. And in chapter 18, there is a really big battle. There's a showdown that takes place. In 1 Kings chapter 18 there is a guy by the name of Ahab who was one of the servants of Jezebel and they worshiped this god named Baal. And Ahab sees the prophet Elijah and he says, "You're that Israelite troublemaker." Elijah says, no, I'm not the troublemaker, you are, right? And has this conversation with him. He says, the reason why you're a troublemaker is because you are worshiping false gods and you're worshiping all of these created images. They're not the one true God, the one you're supposed to be worshiping. You're not. You're really the one who's causing trouble. But Elijah develops this plan. He says, let's have a showdown. We're arguing about whose God is more powerful and strong. So what if we do this? What if you bring 450 of your prophets out and I'll bring myself and we'll have a showdown? What we'll do is we'll slaughter an animal. We'll put it on an altar. We'll build the wood and the fire so that, that altar, or we'll, build the, we'll put the wood there so that altar is ready to go. And then you'll call fire down from heaven, fire down from the sky, and whoever's God shows up will be the winner. So these four hundred and fifty prophets go okay, and they go, they kill a bull, and they build the altar, and they start calling down for fire to fall, but nothing's happening. So Elijah begins to taunt them. He says, Hey, maybe if you shout a little, maybe maybe your God is hard of hearing. So shout a little bit louder. So they start shouting, or then he says, Well, hey, maybe your God is busy. So just keep calling out, and and maybe he'll answer. Then Elijah gets like, he's starting to get funny at this point. He says, hey, maybe your God has gone to the bathroom to relieve himself. You don't believe me? Go read it. All this thing happens. They, they, They shout, they dance, they cry out. Nothing takes place, and then it's Elijah's turn. And when Elijah gets up, he slaughters the animal, he places it on the altar, he then lays the wood around, and he may have struggled with pride a little bit, because then he said, hey, pour water all over the wood. He doesn't just do it one time, he says, it ain't wet enough. Pour more water and more water and more water. And what Scripture tells us is that there was so much water that it was like the, wa- the, the, the altar was sitting in water. Now, if you've ever been camping and you tried to light wood that was wet, you know it just don't work. Yeah. But Elijah believes that God is all-powerful. And even though it's 1 verses 450, he calls fire down from heaven. God responds. Fire hits the altar. And everyone in that moment knows that the God Elijah serves is the one true God. Elijah then decides that those false prophets are not going to live. So he kills all of them. And then we get to chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 1 through 4 says this. And when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness. Traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. You ever been there? Yeah. Ever been in that spot where things weren't going the way you thought they were going to go? Where you faced one hardship after the other? where you were trying to do the right thing and now all of a sudden there's opposition and persecution and you're ready to just throw in the towel? He says, Lord, I've had enough. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. If we look at chapter 18 to chapter 19, it's almost like we see two different people. And I think that's the struggle that some of us face sometimes. Is is there are moments where we are confident, we're believing that God can do anything and all things, that he is powerful and that he is big. And then in other moments, we find ourselves in the place where we're ready to throw in the towel and just give up. And so what I came to do today for, for a lot of us is I believe that Elijah was an incredible man of God. He was a prophet of God. He was a servant of God. But yet he still had suicidal thoughts so if you're taking notes here's the first thing I've got is that you can be a faithful follower of God and wrestle with suicidal thoughts here's why I tell you that because some of you grew up in churches and you grew up in cultures where if you had an issue you didn't talk about it if you had an issue it meant that you didn't really love God because if you just had enough faith and prayed about something for long enough then all your issues would be gone and that's just not what we read in scripture Elijah was a faithful prophet. He was a faithful man of God and yet still struggled with suicidal thoughts. So I came to kick some shame off of some of you because some of you have doubted your salvation because of the struggles you have. But just because you struggle doesn't mean that Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior. All of us struggle. If you find yourself today struggling, join the club, right? Welcome. You're in the right spot. None of us are perfect, but let me say this. Just because you struggle doesn't mean it's God's desire for you to stay there. Because God doesn't desire for you and I to live in suicidal thoughts, to live in anxiety and depression. God doesn't desire us to live in a cave where we're isolated, fearful, and by ourselves. God wants you to experience life. And in order for you to experience life, you got to get out of the cave. But the first thing you got to do is stop feeling so guilty for the environment you find yourself in. There's going to be times in your life and in mine where you find yourself struggling with suicidal thoughts. There's going to be times where you find yourself struggling with darkness. The the stats that are currently out there say that almost 50% of people admit to having suicidal thoughts within the last three years. That's half the room. I'm not going to poll the room, but here's what I know. There's probably way more people that struggle with this than you even realize. The reason why I'm so passionate and I want to talk about it is because, um, A, I think a lot of churches just don't. I'm tired of doing funerals for people who kill themselves because it hurts. In the last four years, I've lost two close pastor friends to suicide guys who led incredible churches, guys who had great families, served the Lord and loved their wife well. They just struggled in silent for way too long. So one of the things that the prophet Elijah does that's so powerful is he gets his struggle out into the open. When he sits down there at the broom tree, he speaks what he's thinking. You got to get out of your head you got to quit just letting it live up here and get it out into the open. So write this down. There is power in speaking your struggle. The longer the enemy has you in darkness, the more power he has over you. And when sometimes we don't get what's in our head out because we think that the people around us are going to think differently of us. The people who are, are, are they're, they're not going to, you know, look at us the same. But, but let me just tell you this. I think they'd rather you get your struggle out than not have you at all. So you need to speak your struggle If you're wrestling in the dark, you need to bring those things into the light. I love what John chapter 8, verse 12 says. Again, Jesus spoke to them, and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It doesn't mean that you and I are not going to be surrounded by darkness. It doesn't mean that darkness is not going to come around us or against us. But Jesus said, if you're a follower of his, you don't have to walk in it. You know, you can be surrounded by it, but not walk in it. Like darkness can be all around you. You can be stuck in a funk. You can be struggling, but you don't have to stay in that spot because Jesus came so that you and I could overcome. All right, 1030. I'm going to preach. And you're going to, amen, we're going to help each other this morning. We get so stuck sometimes because we just hide Because we don't get our stuff out in the open. But the only person that benefits when you keep your sin a secret is the enemy. Because you will always be as sick as your secrets. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. You can just circle that. Does not prosper. I think if, if I were to ask you, do you want to prosper in your life? You would say yes. God says quit hiding. Stop concealing it. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Um, I should have done this in between experiences. I I told uh, 9 a.m., I was like, hey, so, um, I don't remember the Greek word, but the Greek word for confession uh, means uh, to agree with. And so the reason why confession is so powerful is because confession is agreeing with what God has defined as truth. So, when God says something is sin and we confess, we are agreeing with what he has already said. Confession is powerful, and it says to, let's pull back up that verse real quick. It says to confess and to renounce. So here's what happens when you and I get into a dark place when we're dealing with suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety. I think there's so much power in us getting it out because you are renouncing the things that are not from God and agreeing with the things that are. So when you're thinking about suicidal thoughts and you feel like there's no hope and life is over, you get to renounce those thoughts and claim hold to the fact that there is hope in Jesus Christ and that God wants to give you life and life abundantly. Confession and renouncing. But I want to take you back for just a second because Elijah didn't start at the place of dealing with darkness. He made two choices that I think led him to that place. And if you and I, sometimes we, we deal with the symptoms, not the root. Right. We just deal with what we can see, but not the decisions that we made that got us to the place yeah. of that decision, the, the repercussions of that. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5, it says that Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servants there. The two things that we see Elijah do is he's in fear and he flees. Fear and fleeing will cause you to end up in a place of darkness that you never anticipated. Fear and fleeing are things that aren't from God at all. We see a confident man in chapter 18 who fought 450 People stood against them with all the confidence in the world. And a letter from an angry woman caused him to be full of fear. I'm not saying, women can write angry letters. But the response doesn't justify what the situation reflected. When you and I get stuck in fear, it causes you and I to, 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 to be blinded to everything that God has done. So here's the thing about fear fear causes us to overlook the faithfulness of God. Fear causes us to overlook the faithfulness of God. For Elijah, he had just come out of a really big battle and won. There was an incredible victory to celebrate. And rather than celebrating all that God had done, rather than realizing that God was able to continue to take care of him and provide for him, rather than doing any of that, he now finds himself in the place where he is full of fear. And fear is blinding to the power of God. I think fear keeps us sometimes from being a... Fear fear is like a fog, right? Right? When, when you start driving in the morning and you can't see anything, you're, you're trying to look past it and look through it, but it's just blinding. That's what fear is like. I love a story in uh, Mark chapter 4. is a story Jesus says. Mark chapter 4 verse 35 says this. Um, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, it's Jesus. He said, let us go to the over to the other side. Leaving the crowds behind, they took him along just as He was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. So what Jesus is doing is there's a whole group of disciples. They have an appointment on the other side of the lake, so they're going to get into the boat. Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake. So they get in the boat, and they start their journey. When they get about halfway out into the water, this storm starts coming in. And normally when a storm comes in, it's not... Abrupt. It's not like, oh, wow, storm. Like it kind of slowly trickles in. So the waves started to get a little bit bigger and the wind picked up a little bit. But over a period of time, the disciples began to freak out because what looked like a little storm and it wasn't going to be that big of a deal, now it's turned into an incredibly big thing. The rain is falling down. The wind is crashing, uh, making the sails move back and forth. The waves are hitting against the wooden boat, and it sounds like it's ripping it apart. they're concerned that they're going to drown and die and as they look around there's 12 disciples and Jesus that makes 13 but they realize Jesus is missing they haven't seen him walk on water yet so they may be concerned that he fell over they don't know he'll be fine but they can't find Jesus anywhere so they go into the bottom of the boat and they find Jesus napping This storm where everybody's freaking out, everybody's panicking, Jesus is sleeping. And normally, when you've got the friend who's sleeping when everybody else is freaking out, you don't applaud them. (laughs) The disciples are going, what are you doing? And Jesus wakes up, and this is what he says. It says, he got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I understand that your situation is difficult. I understand that today you may find yourself with circumstances or things that you never anticipated to go through. A lot of the hardships that we face, the reason why they're so debilitating is because you didn't see them coming. If you saw them coming, you'd probably try to avoid them and create other problems. (laughs) So you find yourself in a situation today where you never anticipated it. But here's the thing. God's design and desire for your life is not to be stuck in fear. I take so much hope in the opening statements of Jesus in that text because the first thing that Jesus says is, let us go to the other side of the lake. It's no coincidence that when they get to the middle of the lake, a storm comes in and things get a little bit rocky, that things get a little bit complicated. Because oftentimes when God gives us a promise, when God says something, it's the the storm in the middle that causes us to doubt. But you need to know that I came to tell you today, I'm about to preach, if God said you're going over, there's no way you're going under. Like if God has made a promise in your life, if God has told you something specifically, you need to know that the storm in the middle of the lake doesn't determine whether or not God is faithful to keep his promise. If he declared in the beginning, that's why Jesus says, why didn't you have faith? It's not because they needed blind faith. It's they needed to remember the promise that he gave them at the shore. At the shore, Jesus said, we're going to the other side. So in the middle, when they thought we're going to drown, what they were experiencing didn't line up with the promise that God had. And so they could take faith in the fact that when God makes a promise, he is faithful to finish what he starts. That's the power of the God we serve. So when you get into the middle of your situation and you start struggling, I need you to begin to remember the faithfulness and the promises of God because your storm may be louder, but it's not stronger than your Savior. Storms get loud sometimes. And and, and sometimes the biggest reason why we get afraid and we begin to panic is because what our ears are tuned to is the thing that speaks the loudest. That's why I don't listen to critics, (laughs) right? Babe Ruth said that the loudest booze come from the cheapest seats. (laughs) You can't always listen to everything that's loud. Just because it's loud doesn't mean it's powerful. That's why when Jesus gets up from the boat, he just says, be quiet, be still, and everything stops. Jesus doesn't need to get loud. He has authority, and when you carry authority, you know that loud doesn't equal authority. Loud is power. Loud is not powerful, Authority is powerful. So, Jesus has the ability in the middle of your situation to tell it to stop. But I think there are storms that he allows to happen so that we know he's a God who keeps his promises. So, if you find yourself today in a marriage, here's what I want you to do I want you to replace your what ifs with God said. Replace your what ifs with God said. I get stuck sometimes in fear. And when I get stuck in fear, it's normally because I have let my mind wander in the what-ifs. In the what-ifs. So uh, about a year ago, around this time, we, uh, you know, we were not uh, able to host in-person gatherings. Um, and we were trying to figure out, we needed to pay for the HVAC in this facility. And uh, may I tell you what? Companies are proud of them units, man. They're expensive. <laughs> and uh, there's one problem. We ain't got no money. And I don't know about you, you. You may have never had to do this. Fundraising in the middle of a pandemic is just not a thing. So I'm sitting in my office, and I'm going, Lord, what if we never, what if we never raise the money for this thing? Like, in order to regather, i got to have circulating air. Because if I don't have circulating air with the airborne virus, it's going to be a CDC campground, you know. <laughs> what are we going to do? What if we never raise the money? What if we can't afford it. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And I remember just pausing and going, yeah, but like God said, this was our building. And God said that he was going to provide everything that we needed. And it's not in the timeline that I want. It never is. (laughs) But that's what God said. I remember there was another season I had, I had uh, taken a trip up to the mountains because I was just I was exhausted. And uh, leading in a pandemic is a whole—it's a whole new thing. I'll be honest, I'd never done it before, and uh, and so there was a time where, like, I—I I was exhausted. I was—I was ready to throw in the towel. I, I won't. I know better. But I was just ready, and so I knew I needed to get away, spend some time with Jesus. And I'm—I'm I'm getting up in the mountains, and I'm praying, and I, and I start, and I go, like, Lord, what if we never regather as a church? And one, sometimes you just need to quit entertaining your overdramatic self, you know, like. <laughs> Like, that's the biggest benefit in the world. Just quit. Just You're way over dramatic. The sky is not falling nearly as much as you, you make it out to be. Right. But the Lord took me to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 20, and, and the word there was, I'm bringing you home. I knew it was from the Lord because I didn't even think Zephaniah was in the Bible for a second. <laughs> he said, I'm bringing you home and I'll restore to you everything the enemy has taken. And I said, Cool. That's it. That's all I need. I walk. I, So replace your what ifs with God said. When you find yourself in a marriage and you're, what if we don't make it? What if we get divorced? Replace that with, no, God can heal my marriage. God can bring unity, restoration, and healing. You find yourself with a terminal illness. What if the doctors can't fix this? No, God can heal me. God is the great physician. He is an ultimate provider. Stand on the promises of God. And then last is, If the enemy can isolate you, he can destroy you. So Elijah was afraid, and then he fled. Can I tell you that God did not design you to live your life continually fleeing from the problems that you have? For some of you, you've done it in marriages. For some of you, you've done it with friendships. Others of you, hey. You change your job more than you change your underwear. Come on, like, you've you got to quit running at some point. Right. Some of you have done it with churches. And you've gone from place to place to place, and the person you can never outrun is you. That's right. God didn't design you to flee. He designed you to fight your problems, yeah. to stand at them headfirst, not with confidence in your own strength, but confidence that in you is greater than anything that's in the world. So when Elijah gets afraid, he not only begins to flee and run, but then he drops his friends off in a town before he goes away and ends up at the place where he's in darkness. And for some of us, the reason why we're struggling so much is because we are isolated. And if the enemy can isolate you, he will destroy you. Reminds me of uh, Shark Week. I love Shark Week. You know, they got the seals. Just so you know, if you're not, the seals don't make it, right? It's Shark Week. It's not Seal Week. But in in Shark they talk about how sharks feed. And uh, there's a pack of seals, and the pack of seals are together and they're swimming, but there's a shark that's kind of trailing behind watching. The shark doesn't attack the seals when there's a group of them. He waits for that one seal to kind of lean to the left and to get away from the group. And the moment that seal's that seal gets away from the group, that shark gets lunch. The enemy works the same way. When you and I get isolated, when we get by ourselves, that's when the enemy can pick us off and destroy us. God designed you to be in community. He designed you to do life with people. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It says, as a person standing standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two... Can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Uh, Tori and Matt, will you join me on stage real quick? Can you give it up for them as they join me? You guys can both stand right here for a second. Here's the visual of this. At the very beginning of that verse, it says, A person standing by themselves can be attacked and defeated. Here's why. I only have a certain field of view. I can only see what's in front of me. And so I'm I'm attacking. I think, you know, I think I can stand my ground. I feel pretty confident in that. I'm I'm attacking. I'm fighting. I'm I'm good to go. But here's the problem. My back is exposed. The enemy's crafty. If he knows that the only thing you can see is what's in front of you, he ain't coming from there. (laughs) He's been doing this a lot longer than you have. He's smart. So if I'm trying to do this, I, I'm, I can only attack so much. Here's why some of us get exhausted is because we realize the enemy's trying to come at our back too. And so we're constantly spinning. And we're constantly trying to figure out what angle the enemy is going to come from. And so over and over, you just spinning in circles, getting your little self exhausted. Because a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But Tori, come stand back to back with me. But two can stand back-to-back, even though there's a height difference, right? (laughs) Now, I have shifted from having to be responsible for 100% to 50-50. That's even better. And I'll tell you this, men, your wives are designed to stand back-to-back and fight with you for a reason. It's because your wife can see your blind spots. Your wife is the person closest to you that can see the things that you can't see yet. So you might feel like she's nagging. She's not. She's trying to help you. She's trying to point out the things that might destroy you down the road that you don't see yet. Because she's there. She's got your back. So now we're, we're, we're here and we're fighting. And as the enemy comes, uh, the, the ability to defeat is so much lower because we are standing together. But then it says, you thought two was good. Three is even better. So Matt, join in here. And now... We went from 100% to 50%, 33.333333%. This is the way we fight. This is why biblical community is so important. Because what your your health in your relationship with Jesus, I believe, is based on the people you have around you. And this is why I think you need followers of Jesus as friends, not just anybody as friends. Because you don't need friends who will just let you vent. Some some of y'all just vent too much. You need friends who are going to point you to Jesus, not just let you sit and sulk in the mess you find yourself in. You need friends who are going to fight. Can you give it up for them? Thank you so much. And so what do we do? If you find yourself isolated today, Run toward community, not from it. Run toward it. It's one of the reasons why we push uh, serving in groups so much here at Propel Church. I tell you, hey, you need to get into a group. Some of y'all may think I want you to get into a group because I want our numbers to be bigger. I don't really care that much about that. I mean, I don't mind when they get bigger. But here's what I know. If you don't get into a group, you're probably by yourself. And if you're by yourself, the enemy can defeat you. I care about the condition of your soul. I care about your mental health and I care about every area of your life. I want you in a group because you need those kind of people who are going to go back to back with you and who are going to fight. That when you find yourself, some of you don't have people close enough who can identify when you're fleeing. So you end up isolated and then you wonder why nobody came and got you. They didn't know. You need people who know the real you, who know when you're struggling. That like when everybody else on the outside is looking in thinking you're doing great, they go... How are you really doing? I've got a, a mentor and overseer that I sit down with and we sit down and he goes, how you doing? I'm like, man, I'm good. This is what's going on. He goes, no, like how are you, how you really doing? I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Because you and I get so accustomed to just lying our way through stuff. We say we're good when we're not. You need those kind of people who are gonna not just accept the surface level answer. And quit sending them two word text messages. Right? You got those friends you reach out to and they just respond, I'm good. How you doing? No. Go deeper. Be honest. Tell people how you're really doing. Because you'll always be as sick as your secrets. Get your struggles out into the open. It's powerful when you do that. So we push groups hard. And we also push serving really hard. Because when you serve with people, that's when you get in community. That's when you get to do life with people. You get to build relationships with people. When you're on the worship team and you're playing whatever instrument God has gifted you with, right? You get to build memories and relationships with those people. When you're serving in media, running cameras or slides or any, you get to build relationships with people. When you're greeting and making coffee, we thank you, right? And you get to build relationships with people. When you serve in the parking lot. It makes a big difference when you get on that radio and you get to talk about the fact that people just heard a great message and then they left and they were so mad at the parking team, right? Like, don't, don't, y'all don't be mean to my parking team. I'm Holy and Hood, you don't want none. (laughs) For real though, you need to get into a group and you need to serve. You need to begin to build relationships with people because it makes a real big difference. And one of the biggest differences that it makes is is your connectedness to people determines your level of healing. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Make no mistake, we go to God for forgiveness, but we go to God's people for healing. Because there's power in getting your struggle out into the open. And then it says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When you get your struggle out there, when you begin to get it out into the open, you've got people in your life who are praying for you and over you. And I'm telling you, it'll change your life. Some of you don't believe me, and that's okay. Here's what I challenge you with. If you give me one year of your life and you do what we tell you, I promise that at the end of that year, you will grow in your relationship with God like you never anticipated before. And if at the end of that year, you don't grow in your relationship with God and you did everything we told you to, like you, you started tithing, you started getting into a group, you started serving, you learned your purpose and you started using that, at the end of that year, if your life doesn't change for the better, I'll resign and find another church. I'm telling you, I believe in it that much. You need community. So today, maybe you have those struggles. Maybe you're in a dark place. I would encourage you, tell somebody about it. Don't struggle in silence. Let somebody know. Let somebody know how they can be praying for you because it makes a really big difference in your life and mine. For some of us, the best decision that we can make is to First, surrender our life to Jesus because you will never escape the darkness and the cave of sin until Jesus Christ is first your Lord and Savior. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about a decision you made at Bible camp. Like, let me ask you this question. Is Jesus Christ the one who's calling the shots in your life? Is he the one that is ruling, guiding, and directing? Because if he's not, he's not actually your Lord and Savior. But today, all that can change. So with every head bowed, every eye closed in the room for a moment, if you'd say, hey, Pastor, today I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Would you just lift your hand for a moment and say, hey, that's me. I see this. Here's what we're going to do. Church, nobody prays alone. We all pray together. Will you say this with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, will you stand to your feet and help me celebrate with those who made decisions today? Before we transition back into worship, uh, whenever we teach, On suicidal thoughts, darkness, depression, anxiety, any of those things. I always want to create a moment at the end where I pray over you that those areas of darkness get out. I don't believe God designed you to live in them. I don't believe he designed you to stay in them. But I think there's incredible power in acknowledging that you have a struggle and then being prayed over that it gets out. And so... I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes one more time. And if you're in here and you'd say, hey, Pastor, over the last season of my life, I've battled or had suicidal thoughts. I've been struggling with loneliness, depression, anxiety. I've been in a cave and I want to get out. If that's you, would you just lift your hand boldly for a second? Say, hey, hands all around the room. Come on. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray over you. Father God, I come to you right now and I speak life over every single person in this room. For every area of darkness, we pray right now that light would shine on it. God, for those areas where we've been in secrecy, for those areas where we've been hiding, we bring those out into the open today and say, Lord, we are tired of struggling in silence. But God, as we acknowledge it before you, we believe that we are able to walk in freedom and wholeness like never before. So darkness, leave in Jesus' name. Fear, leave in Jesus' name. We believe that depression, anxiety, uh, suicidal thoughts are leaving people's life right now and that our minds reflect the mind of Christ. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.